Let's stand and we'll sing Great is Thy Faithfulness and see who comes. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Come on now, sing. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have need in thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Father, we praise you and give you thanks for this morning and praise you for the rain this week and for all of your provision for us and for this morning, Lord, providing your spirit and your word, I pray that they would have your desired effect upon our lives and that you would change us. Conform us a little more to the image of Christ, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. By the way, we just sang, Great is my, Thy Faithfulness. You know, we talk about, um, uh, in that song, we say, with with God, there is no shadow of turning. You know what that means? Anybody know what that means? Where does that come from? James 1, which says, or shadow of turning, right? And the idea there is that how they used to keep time. I mean, sundials have been around for millennia. And, uh, and how does a sundial work? You know, it only works when there's sunshine outside. And uh, the sun casts a shadow, and, and it turns. And every time you look at it, it's, it's in a different place, not with God. There is no shadow of turning. I mean, there's not even a shadow of turning. He's immutable. He never, ever, ever changes. And uh, so let's just uh, take the offering and <laughs> conclude. <laughs> Um, it's your theology lesson for today. Um, let me just say, uh, I hope you guys have been benefiting from this study on forgiveness. Uh, if, uh, if you like this, uh, normally we, uh, I compress this into a one-hour session, which is really, really tight, and I always feel like I can't get everything in. So having three weeks to cover uh, this one topic uh, has been delightful for me. Um, it's great just to grab my notes and come walk in and... and uh, and take a look and, and see what happens. Um, but this is, uh, this is really powerful stuff. And I'm not saying that what I've written here, but the scriptures here, when you see what God teaches um, systematically, this is, this is not an expository approach, this is a systematic approach to a particular topic. And so systematic theology is really important to us. We, we teach more from a biblical theology perspective when I preach it's expository, and, and all of it should be, whether it's topical or not. Uh, we believe in topical sermons as long as they're expository, as long as you're, you're handling the text properly um, and not proof texting. But in, in, in worship service, when I preach, it's very expositional, and, and the focus is more on biblical theology. We want to know what this text says in its immediate context, etc. Um, in here, at least with the teaching that I've been giving these last three weeks, it's more like a systematic theology in that we're looking at all of the scriptures in the New Testament and some in the Old that deal with one particular subject, which is forgiveness. And um, if you're blessed by this, I just want to tell you, this is only one of 32 lectures that we do uh, when we teach people discipleship and biblical counseling. So when we get to... Um, uh, next, uh, next September, when we have our conference here, the first one, 
If you're wondering what that's like, it's like this on steroids. Uh, it goes, you know, uh, for like three or four hours on Friday night and then almost all day Saturday. And they're just ripping through these topics and helping you get a grip on uh, understanding specific things from the Word of God relative to your sanctification. It's all about sanctification. It's all about growing in Christ-likeness, but it's about growing in Christ-likeness in very specific areas. And so it's training you so that you'll change and also training you so that you can help other people change. And um, um, what's that? What's the subtitle on David Tripp's book, uh, um, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands? Uh, people in need of change, helping people in need of change. And that's who we are, right? I need change I need, every day. I need God's sanctifying grace to change me. Um, and, and lots, and I don't know what, those of you who don't know me well may not think that I need to change as much as you change, and uh, a better knowledge of me would change that. Uh, and, or just talk to my wife or my kids. Um, I gotta change, I have to battle for this, same as you. And it's just important for us to learn these things. Um, so thanks for giving me the opportunity to do this these last three weeks. This will be the last one. And then uh, next week, we're starting a new class. This will be announced a couple times this morning. Um, there'll be the class here, but we're also uh, doing, uh, we're going to launch uh, Way of the Master for six weeks in the conference room, uh, space permitting. And uh, if you're interested in, in learning an approach to evangelism, just a systematic approach to evangelism, uh, then you want to be in that class. Doesn't cost anything, uh, obviously, um, but, um, uh, but if we do run out of room in there, then we'll just reschedule one for uh, a few months down the road, and, uh, and you can pick up on that. So let's dive back into forgiveness. Remember, and, and this will be a little bit of review, and I don't have a lot of time for review this morning, but um, we, first, we first talked about why we fight, right? And so if you're trying to help someone, if you're discipling someone who's, who's having an, a, an issue with a spouse or, or with a child, and there's lots of fighting going on, and you need to communicate why people are fighting, what, what's going on here that's causing the fight. And you would want to open your Bible in order to give counsel, right? You wouldn't just want to say, well, the better part of wisdom, or I think, or I heard Dr. Phil, or whatever. You would want to take them to Scripture. So what Scripture would you go to? James 4, good, thank you, Kelly. Uh, and, and I know I'm hammering on this every week, but it's so important that you know the scriptures, the scriptures that speak to this issue. And James chapter 4 says what? Why do you fight and quarrel? Why do fights and quarrels occur? Is it not your, what? Your pleasures, your passions, your desires that wage war within you, so you fight and quarrel, you commit murder. And so I, I taught you a phrase last last time or two, two weeks ago, and that is, so really the, 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 um, the diagnosis is, finish this sentence, I do what I do because I want what I want, right? And so the problem is my desires. I desire something. And uh, you know that a, that a good desire has turned into a sinful desire when? When I want it so bad, willing to sin to get it, or... Right, sin if I can't have it or if I can't get it. Uh, then I know my good desire has turned into a lust, or maybe it was inherently a bad desire to begin with um, if, it, if it was inherently sinful. But a lot of times it's not inherently sinful things. It's good desires that run amok because we want them too much. And uh, that's why we fight. And then we offend each other. And now there's a rift in the relationship and something needs to happen, and what needs to happen is forgiveness. We, we need to get to a place where there is forgiveness, uh, because only by forgiveness can we have restoration. And so <clears throat> we talked about what kind, when we're, when we're talking about forgiveness, there are a couple of different kinds, and we've spent two weeks on the first kind, and the first kind has got kind of an artificial term, not a biblical term, but one to help us, again, systematically identify different kinds of forgiveness in the Scripture. And the first one is called... Transactional forgiveness. And why is it called transactional forgiveness? Right, because it depends on two people. It's, it's like any other kind of transaction. You do something, the other person does something. Um, so you're the offending party. You go and you confess your sin and you ask the other person to give you something that you don't deserve, namely to cancel your debt and to resolve to 
uh, not remember it against you anymore, right? We're forgiving as we have been forgiven. And that's the way God has forgiven us. So we, because we exist to show the world what God is like, we want to forgive the way God forgives. And uh, God forgives completely and universally. And it's not that he doesn't remember our sin, it's just that he doesn't remember it against us ever because we've been forgiven. Our part in that is to confess our sins. If you, were, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so we talked about the way that you ask for forgiveness. You remember that? Uh, our model is the prodigal son who said, I, this is what I will do. I will go to my father and I will say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the way we like to present that is, when you go to ask for forgiveness, you should say something like, when I became sinfully angry at you, or when I lied to you, or when I whatever, that was a sin against God, that's heaven, and it was a sin against you, and, and I'm so sorry, that must have affected you how. And I need to ask your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Okay? Uh, now, let me just give some caveats to that. Don't expect everybody to do that with you. Uh, once you learn these things, I've found that sometimes people struggle. They go, well, they didn't, they didn't say the formula. <laughs> they didn't say I've sinned against God and against me. I really wanted to hear that. To which I like to respond, how badly do you want that? <laughs> you could be sinning against them. Listen, love believes all things. And if someone is trying to reconcile with you, take whatever they give you and reckon it as righteousness. Reckon it as, uh, as biblical to the best that you can. You don't want to say, well, you need to say, will you forgive me and I've sinned against God and, and all of that. No, no, no. You focus on doing that. Make your request for forgiveness thorough and biblical so there's no ambiguity. And then if someone needs to ask you for forgiveness, just be ready to grant it and all the terms that, that comes with it here in the scriptures. Does that make sense? Uh, I'll take that as a nod of yes. And, um, um, okay, so that's how was, must we forgive. Let me see if there's anything else on that. Um, and uh, and uh, what is the requirement on the person who sinned against you? They come and ask for forgiveness. In order for you to grant them forgiveness, the only thing the scriptures require is what? A verbal confession. How do we know that? Yeah, because in Jesus' teaching, his example was this same thing happened how many times? Seven times in a single day. And so what do you have? You don't have any time to examine that to see if it's uh, uh, true repentance or, or fleshly repentance. Um, if it's a verbal repentance, um, then you have, to, you have to grant forgiveness. Now, let me throw another caveat in. It's appropriate for you to ask questions so that you understand what you're forgiving, right? Let me make sure I understand. And yes, I fully intend to, for, to, to grant forgiveness. Can I just ask you a couple of things? And make sure you understand. Don't just say, I forgive you, and you have no idea what you're not supposed to remember against them, right? You just want to be gracious. You just want to be humble. You want to be kind. You want reconciliation. You don't like conflict. So yes, you say, I'm sorry, and I'll say, uh, we're forgiven, and, and we'll move on, but we never really dealt with the issue. And so it's fine to say, graciously, kindly, not with an angry, sarcastic spirit, but yes, I fully intend to grant you forgiveness, but can I ask you a few questions? And then ask whatever questions are on your heart. Are, are you meaning that when you did this, and I've seen this in counseling on a number of occasions, you know, we kind of lay this out for people before they go in, because by the time they get to me, the issues are really big. And, uh, and they laid it out, and, and one person asks for forgiveness, and the other one says, Yes, I intend to do that. Can, can I ask you a few questions? Because there was a lack of clarity. Or it was hard for the person to believe that, that the offender was actually owning their sin. And it was just, it had been so long and the conflict had lasted so many years. And are you really saying this? And the other person says, absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. 
and I'm asking you to cancel that debt. That's amazing. I get a little emotion on this because I, I can see the people in my office saying these things and, and seeing forgiveness take place. Absolutely astounding. Absolutely astounding. Um, so that is transactional forgiveness. And now I left uh, with you um, the question, what happens if either the person who uh, needs to be forgiven is either irreconcilable, they don't want to talk about it, or they've died? Um, uh, let, me, let me go back to the, the first one first, and let's, let's say you go, someone asked me this uh, two weeks ago when I was down teaching on forgiveness down at the BCDC conference in Granbury, and uh, an older woman came to me and she said, I went to this person and they, they just didn't want to talk about it, and, uh, and what do I do? Okay, so let me just give some practical counsel, this isn't from scripture, the scriptural part is you've got to pursue this. And as much as it depends upon you, like Romans 12, and as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. So here's just something practical that we, we tell people to do. Uh, if the person is resistant to engaging, make three attempts. Make three attempts. Just so that you can in good conscience say, um, I, I really did try. I really went after them. And I'm still open if opportunity arises. But... but um, three times. So, uh, Randy Patton tells a story. He was working with a guy uh, that this happened to. And here was the story. Um, so, he comes to Randy Patton for counsel and he says, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling my heart and uh, I don't know what to do. And uh, here's the situation. When, when I was a teen, okay, so this is an, a, a guy who's probably in his 40s or 50s, been married for a while. He has kids. He's He's serving in his church. He's a, he's a dedicated, loving husband and believer, and I mean, just a great guy. He's really struggling. And, uh, and Randy says, so what's, what's the problem? And he says, well, on my way to work every day, I, I pass by this junkyard. And um, when I was a teenager, me and my buddies broke into that junkyard, and we stole a door off of a Volkswagen Beetle. And we just wanted it. We didn't have a Volkswagen to put it on. We just, just wanted it. And so we took it. And he said, every day on my way to work now, I pass by that junkyard. And, um, and my conscience just smites me. that I never went back and made that right. And I don't know how to do it. Can you help me? And Randy said, yeah, let's, let's sit down and come up with a plan. So... Here was the plan. He, he was going to go back, and he did. He was going to go back to the junkyard and go in and introduce himself and tell the story and ask for forgiveness. So they set up a date when he was to do this, and sure enough, uh, nervous as can be and just embarrassed, he, um, he, he goes to the junkyard, and he walks in. Have you ever been to a, a salvage yard? Yeah, it's a rough crew. You know, everything is done by cash. And, uh, and it's, it's just not a, a particularly friendly. Junkyard dog, you know, there's, uh, there's reasons why, you know. Anyway, they, uh, he went in and, and he, he goes to the front desk and he says, uh, hi, my name is uh, Jimmy and I need to, um, I need to talk to, to, uh, to someone um, about uh, an issue. And he said, well, what's your issue? And he said, well, um, are, are you the owner? No, I'm not the owner, but whatever you can say to the owner, you can say to me. And he said, well, no, it's personal. And so he yells to the back room, hey, Louie, there's a guy out here who says he needs to talk to you. It's something personal. Okay, so things are going badly from the start. So Louie comes out and he says, hey, what's your problem? And he said, no, 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 I don't, I don't have a problem. It's, it's your problem problem, and I'm, just let me tell you the story. So um, he said, you know, when I was a teenager, me and my friends came in, and we broke in, and we stole a car door, and just for fun, and I drive by here every day, and it just, you know, my, my conscience really just, I'm a Christian, and, and it just bothers me all the time, and, and so I'm here to ask for forgiveness, and the guy said, look, don't worry about it. And he said, no, 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 I really, I need to settle this. I've just got to settle it. And, and the guy said, listen, buddy, I didn't even own the junkyard back then. 
I bought it from the guy who did. And he said, yeah, but when you bought it, you didn't realize it, but you were one Volkswagen door short of a full junkyard. <laughs> you were cheated. And, uh, and the guy said, um, he said, listen, forget about it. Uh, it's, it's, it's no skin off my back, and, and don't worry. And, and this brother said, no, no, no. So this is third time, right? No, 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 no. This is really important to me. I'm asking your forgiveness. Will you, will you please forgive me for stealing the door? And the guy said, listen, if it makes you feel any better, you're forgiven. And he said, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that. He said, now, I need to make restitution. So um, how much do I owe you for the door? And he's like, come on. I got a business to do here. He said, no, $100. Will $100 do it? And he said, no, you're not going to pay me. It's going to mess up my books. The IRS is going to want to know why I got money and didn't lose the door. And uh, he said, well, I've got to do something. How can I make restitution? And the guy says, okay, well, uh, I guess, um, I don't know. You can do something else. He said, what about, you got a, you got a staff here. What, what about drinks for everybody? And he said, great, you can go down to the 7-Eleven and buy us a case of beer. And he went, oh. <laughs> Well, no, I, I can't do that. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, why don't I go down and buy you a big, you know, uh, uh, pallet of, of Cokes for everybody, and then you guys will have it for a long time, and, and whatever. And he said, whatever. And, uh, and he said he walked out of that place, he got in his car, and he just lifted his hands and started weeping. Thank you, God. Thank you. The burden is gone. And now every time he drives past the junkyard, he rejoices because his guilt is gone. Isn't that a great story? Um, so we tell people if the person is resistant or they don't understand or it's just embarrassing to them, they don't want to admit that they were offended or that you know, anything needs to take place here, just make three attempts. Make three attempts. And, uh, and, and at least you will know that that you did everything you could. And stay open. The Lord may give you another opportunity, but, um, but three times. So that's if somebody is resistant, okay? Um, what if they will not speak with you or they're dead? Okay, so in that case, transactional forgiveness, you can't even attempt it, right? Um, and so what do you do? Well, there's another kind of forgiveness, another biblical kind of forgiveness. Why would give these artificial terms just to distinguish uh, the different kinds. All of them are applicable all of the time. But, um, uh, but in this case, if you can't do the one, you at least need to do the other. And, and, and we call that not transactional forgiveness, but attitudinal forgiveness. I know that's a big word. You could just say heart forgiveness, forgiveness from the heart. Um, and so what does an obedient, spirit-filled believer do when a brother doesn't respond well to a gentle rebuke? Or if he um, is not willing to um, in, engage in the, in the process of forgiveness. Uh, the salient principle here is governed by Mark 11.25. Mark 11.25. And here's what we read. This is a very short text. And this is Jesus teaching, again, another passage on forgiveness. Verse 25, this is uh, Mark 11. Whenever you stand praying, what's the next word? Forgive. Isn't that interesting? Forgive. So that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Now, what's interesting about that? Well, probably a number of things, but, but the first thing that stands out is... Uh, there isn't anybody else with this guy. Or, or maybe he's in worship service and they're standing to pray, like we do. We usually stand to pray. We learned that from our Russian brothers, right? Uh, when, when, when they say, let's pray, either, either, you either get on your knees or you stand up, but nobody sits uh, in, in honor uh, to, to worship the king. And so he's saying, okay, so you're standing to pray, and you're lifting your hands to heaven, and you're about to speak, and... Uh, oh. I have something against someone. They have sinned against me. 
or at least I think they have. In, in either case, I'm, I'm kind of hacked. I feel like some kind of transaction needs to take place here, or at least we need to talk. Maybe I need more information. But reconciliation needs to happen. What do you do? Jesus says, well, that's easy. Forgive. You say, well, what happened about the whole thing about there is no such thing as uh, 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 forgiveness apart from repentance? No, 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 no. There's no such thing as transactional forgiveness apart from repentance. But whether you engage, whether you're able to engage in the transaction or not really is a question of reconciliation with that person. Your responsibility, regardless of whether they're willing to engage or able, is that you forgive them from the heart. You forgive them from the heart. Um, so here's a brother who's standing, perhaps in worship service, prayer meeting, perhaps he's uh, in his own favorite quiet place for prayer. He's standing with his arms lifted to heaven, communing in fellowship with the Lord. He's recently been stung by a sinful word or action from a brother or his wife or whatever. What is his responsibility? In the case, uh, in this case, the responsibility of the one sinned against is simply, I forgive him. Not transactionally, but attitudinally. He is to forgive from the heart. Um, and remember, to tell someone, I forgive you, when the sinning brother has not asked to be forgiven, is to dilute and ruin the remedy for sin that God has established and to do further harm to the relationship. You don't walk across, like we're, having, we're going to have Lord's table this morning. You see somebody on the other side of the room and say, he sinned against me. If you walk over there and say, I forgive you, is that going to help him? Or is that just for your own catharsis, your own sense of well-being? Is that why you're doing that? Just so you can feel better? You can feel superior? It's a little self-righteousness? And then you're going to have the Lord's table? Whose problem is this? No, you don't, you don't go to the person. You go to God. This is attitudinal forgiveness. Um... Here, you're simply saying, God, from my heart, I cancel their debt. We still need to do the transaction, if at all possible. But in my heart, I forgive them. I cancel them. Help me, Lord. I'm ready at the drop of a hat. I'll even supply the hat to engage with them in transactional forgiveness. But even before that ever happens, and maybe it never will happen, nevertheless, from the heart, I choose not to remember their sins against them. Um, if, if you simply go and tell the person, I forgive you, and you never engage in pursuing the transaction of forgiveness, and you don't forgive from the heart, um, what can happen is bitterness can set in. A person who is sinned against is in immediate danger to fall into the sin of bitterness. And when that happens, the original injury is compounded. So first there was the harm done by the one who sinned against him from the outside. And then there comes the malignant cancer of bitterness that begins eating away on the inside. And beloved, that can't be allowed. You can't allow that to happen. Explosive anger is when you take the dart and you throw it at the other person. And bitterness is when you take the dart and you swallow it. Um... You can't let that happen. And, and people, sometimes people will come for discipleship, for counsel, or whatever, and, and they're just bitter. Um, and there's a reason for that. You're unwilling to forgive. From the heart, regardless of what the other person does. And notice this, this is not simply offered as a good psychological idea that Jesus offers if you care to take his advice. No, this is a command. It's a command followed by a warning, namely that your relationship with God will certainly be disruptive if you don't forgive from the heart. And, and so think about this. I understand that there are some times when, when you're in your relationship with the Lord, you're just, you feel like there's not much of a connection there. Maybe that's the Lord's doing. Maybe he's, he's uh, trying to develop a thirst for God in you, uh, and that's good. But you know what? A lot of times... Uh, the reason why we can't pray and the Bible is a closed book to us even though we're trying to read it and we come to worship and, and we're distracted, uh, a lot of times the reason for that is because we're not dealing with sin properly. We're not keeping short accounts of sin. We're not trying to reconcile with other people. We're just bitter. Or we're just wallowing in our sin. 
we're simply not permitted to indulge in the sin of bitterness. And you've got to recognize that this is a sin. You're focused on the other person's sin. And beloved, it can become so freeing for you to understand that, that bitterness is not, well, it's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a spiritual gift. It's a cancer. And God calls it sin. It makes the sin list several times in the New Testament. You are not permitted to be bitter. And once you identify it as sin, then you can start repenting of it yourself. And by the way, if you're repenting of bitterness uh, toward another person, don't go tell them, uh, hey, I've really been struggling with bitterness for, toward you, and now the Lord is, you know, and rejoice with me. And they're going to go. <laughs> Guess what? You're just finishing your bitterness, and they're just now starting. <laughs> Be careful about that. If they don't know about the sin, don't tell them if it's a sin against them. You know, it's real easy to play Russian roulette with this, however, with the command to forgive from the heart. It's very tempting to say, oh, I have forgiven that person when in reality you haven't. And that's when bitterness really sets in. Because now you're self-deceived. You see, the Word of God doesn't command us, doesn't just command us to do something in the secret recesses of our heart without giving us a biblical litmus test to determine whether or not we really are forgiving from the heart. Anybody got an idea of what that lit litmus test might be? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Um... And I want you to notice before we get to the fruit of the Spirit, which obviously is where we're headed, um, a couple of other things to see here. Look at verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Keep standing firm and do not subject yourselves to a yoke of slavery, etc. And then verse 4. You've been saved. Uh, you have been uh, severed from Christ. He's talking about these people who are looking to something other than Christ. And then verse 6, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And now he's talking about relationships here. And then he rebukes them for running so well at first and then letting somebody persuade them that Jesus isn't enough and has some strong terms from them, for them. And then verse 13 for you were called to freedom, brethren. There's the connection to verse 1. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through what? There's that word again. Through love, and now he defines it, serve one another. What does love look like? Serving each other. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, in the statement, you shall love. There it is again. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour. It's the opposite of love, right? You see the relational nature of this text? If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by each other. This is a one another text. This is about you and everybody else in the church body and in your home. And then he warns about the, the, the fruit of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh, and he ends that little section by saying, uh, I warn you, just as I have forewarned you, the people who act like this don't enter the kingdom of God, which is just a... A kind way to say, people who act like this go to hell. And then we come to the fruit of the Spirit. But, in contrast to the fruit of the flesh, which is relational, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's number one. Love. Love here is not a warm feeling, warm wind up the back of your neck, a liver quiver. Um, it's not love. To love is to give what you have that they need because God wants you to, right? How do we know that? Well, from obscure passages of Scripture like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. And gave what? His only son. Why? Because that's what we needed that he had. Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5 like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To love is to give. 
You say, well, this person offended me. They sinned against me. Yes. And how many times have you sinned against God? And yet he still treats you with love because you're his child. And you too, the person, you and the person you're at odds with, that's your brother or your sister. How should you treat them while you're while you're pursuing reconciliation, while you're praying for reconciliation, while you have already forgiven them from the heart, you love them. You say, well, if I love them in practical ways, they might get confused. They might think, oh, well, obviously that's not an issue anymore. We don't have to talk about that. And that's not true, but you can't worry about what they're thinking. You don't even know what they're thinking. Don't judge their motives. You don't know a man's heart. And it's not just love. Look at the next one. It's joy. You come to worship service, and you see that person, and you smile, and you greet them, and you bless them, and you find out how you can pray for them if they'll talk to you. You can experience joy with them because they are a member of the body of Christ. You are both in Christ. Joy. And what's the next word? The next fruit. Peace. This is not the peace that passes all understanding. By the way, this morning's sermon is going to be the opposite. It is the peace that passes all understanding, but it's a different text. This is, this is peace between brothers, between brother and sister, or sisters. Um, this is peace where there ought to be conflict and war between you. Peace when left to yourselves, it, it's James 4, 1 and 2 all over again. Um, Love, joy, peace. Patience. I mean, patience isn't a feeling. I feel really patient right now. Of course, nobody's in my way. <laughs> nobody's trying to stop me from doing anything or slow me down. I mean, I can feel patient all day long if there isn't any opposition. Um, patience. I'm patient. In order for there to be true patience, somebody's got to be resisting you. And so this person right? Patience, kindness. You say, well, if I'm kind with them, they're going to they're, they're gonna think that this isn't a problem between us, and then we'll never reconcile. No, 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 that's not true. That's not true. You still need to, from time to time, pull that person aside and say, hey, I love you. I hope you've been feeling the love. Because you've been serving them, you've been praying for them, you've been blessing them, you've been kind to them, you've been joyful with them in their presence. And from time to time, you just pull them aside and say, hey, you know, I feel like we still have something to talk about here. Can we just talk about that? No? Okay, then I'll just go back to loving them. Okay, now, I understand this is easy to say and hard to do. But this is what God is calling us to. How do you know if you have forgiven from the heart? Are you able to do this? Now, I'm not saying you do it without battle in your soul. You're going to have to battle in your soul. But by the grace of God, His Spirit, by the Spirit and the Word, you will be able to love that person, to serve them. You may have to be strategic with it. This is how I'm going to love them this week. This is how I'm going to be joyful in their presence. When I see all the other people, I'm just going to respond as it comes. But this person, I'm a heat-seeking missile, and I'm going to go bless them. I'm going to give them a hug. Whatever is appropriate. You see that? It's so important for us. To, to forgive from the heart, and the litmus test for that is, you know, I, I pick Galatians 5.22, but you could pick other passages as well. And do you remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, 38 through 47? Um, and that's the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other cheek. Turn the other cheek, right? What does that mean? Um, what do you do if a person slaps you on the cheek with some sinful word or action? Jesus says, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he... Okay, so you're trying to show the world what God is like, right? So what does God do? God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I remember as a kid thinking, well, that's not good. Rain, I don't like rain. Well, if you were a farmer, you would love rain. 
And God sends the sun, God sends the rain, on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what is your reward? What reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors and sinners do the same? If you greet only your brothers, okay, there's the greeting part, right? Brother, good to see you. I'm praying for you this week. Love you. Um, if you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than, than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Turn the other cheek means we do not repay wrong for wrong. Rather, we respond to sin in a mature and Christ-like way. When the opportunity is right to address the issue privately, we pursue it. We pursue transactional forgiveness. But whether the, offended, the offending party responds well or not, we keep on walking with the Lord and exhibiting before men, even before the offender, the fruit of the Spirit. And that will, that will drive you to prayer, which will also be good for you. It will drive you to the Word, which will also be good for you. And it may drive you to a brother or sister. Be careful who you pick on this, because uh, most Christians aren't going to point you in this direction, because they got their counsel on reconciliation from Dr. Phil or wherever. Um, be really careful. But this will drive you to the church. It will drive you to other people in the body, and that too will be good for you. If you do it God's way, it's just good, 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 all the way around. Who knows, this kind of undeserved kindness and graciousness may be just the thing the Lord uses to bring the offender to repentance, just like the unbelieving husband. My wife uh, came up with a phrase early on in ministry here, uh, back in those first five and a half years when it was war. Um, and you're just so tempted to, to try to force everything to be right and, and to defend yourself and all of this. And, and she came to me one day and she said, Honey, don't. Grace always wins. Grace always wins. And I can't tell you how many people, actually I could, but we don't have time. Um, uh, the amazing encounters I've had with people who uh, came after me early on here, because everybody was going after everybody. It was like piranha hour or for on a year, five years, half a decade. Um, and, and I didn't respond. And, and just tried to, and I didn't know this, but I knew that responding tit for tat, for tat was wrong. And so just try to love them and serve them and, and not be angry at them. And, and, and months or years later, the reconciliation stories where people come back and say, wow, you know, I look back on that. And just realize, I was wrong. And the first time that happened, I was shocked. About the third or fourth time that happened, man, this sounds biblical. Um, and people aren't always going to come back, and there will probably be unreconciled relationships in your life, but you can forgive anyway, and you can love them anyway. And who knows, maybe you're loving them and serving them and not responding to them in kind will be the very thing that God uses to bring them to repentance. And, and that connects, does it not, uh, to First Peter, chapter three, instruction to wives. Maybe you'll win your husband without a word. And the same thing applies to husbands with wives. Maybe you'll win her without a word if she's resistant to talking about this. Do not respond tit for tat, for sin for sin. When you're sinned against in a way that breaks fellowship with you and the other person, address the issue privately, graciously. Remember. Go in asking questions because, can you say this one with me? Questions convict the conscience. Can you say it? Questions convict the conscience, but accusations harden the heart. So we go in tentatively. We ask questions. We try to make sure our facts are right. Um, calling them to joy of the transactional forgiveness process. And as you wait for that to happen, committing yourself to the kind of genuine forgiveness from the heart that it's evidenced by all of all of the sweet fruits of the Spirit. And sometimes people ask, what do you do if the person who sinned against me is dead? Well, obviously, you can't engage in transactional forgiveness, but you can engage in heart forgiveness. Let me tell you what not to do, because this is very psychological and it's prevalent. Uh, don't write that person a letter and stand before their grave and talk to them. Just don't. That's, that's not biblical. You don't talk to the dead. The few instances we have in the, of that in Scripture are bad. Uh, Saul. Not Saul of Tarsus, but the other guy. Um, very bad. 
Don't talk to the dead. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. You say, well, can't that be therapeutic? I don't know. Therapeutic is not a biblical term. It can be Christ-exalting, and it can bring you peace and joy. Your question is not that, that uh, your problem is not that you haven't received forgiveness from the dead person and you're trying to get it. Your problem is that you haven't received the forgiveness of the Lord for your sin of bitterness. If you, need, if you feel like you need to go and talk to a dead person, then you've got some bitterness going on. And you need to, and, and some pe- sometimes people will say, well, I just have trouble forgiving myself. Listen, careful with that. Because you're elevating yourself above God. I mean, here's God. Oh, God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Are you saying that your standards of righteousness are greater than God's? He's already forgiven you. Your problem is not that you can't forgive yourself. Your problem is that you haven't humbly received his forgiveness and considered that sufficient. I understand that none of this is easy. None of it's easy. But it is the way God has called us to live. And it's the path to peace. And it's the path to joy. And it's the way we show the world what God is like. Um, So how do we forgive? We forgive transactionally. And we forgive attitudinally. And there's another one. We forgive prayerfully. We can conclude from these and other scriptures concerning forgiveness that anytime someone wrongs us, we should pray to God in this way. So at this part, um, I've already said you need to forgive attitudinally from the heart. How do you do that? You're probably going to have to talk to God about this. Right? What do you say? Here's what you could say. Father, I know what happened between me and whoever. Um, You know what has happened between me and this other person. Help me not to be angry or bitter at him, nor to seek revenge in any way. But help me to love him and desire only his good. Please work in his heart and bring him to repentance so that we can have a reconciled relationship. And until then, use me in any way you can to help him. For a believer, that help may involve confrontation. Gentle, careful, circumspect. Um, But it's the confrontation of transactional forgiveness. And you can go to Matthew 18 for this as well. For an unbeliever, it may be personal gospel ministry as they allow you to engage. One of the marks of a true son or or daughter of God is this. As God has forgiven us, so we forgive. And we need to forgive transactionally, attitudinally, prayerfully. This is one of the most powerful ways to show the world what God is like. And in a world where so many people live in a perpetual state of discord and broken relationships, God has made a way to bring about true reconciliation. And because we can, we must. And that has helped me. Just that phrase has helped me many, many times. This is not optional. I have to. I have to. Sometimes you're going to need help with that. Um, I'll tell you about a, an occasion one time I was having to, to go talk to a brother in, in this way. And, uh, and I was terrified. I'm not given to anxiety, but I sat out here in my car under the tree and trembled. And I could not get, I could, I, here's what was going on in my mind. I got to talk to this guy. I got I to gotta call him right now. I'm, I'm ready. I just pulled a bunch of scriptures together. I, I don't want to talk to him. I'm not going to go talk to him. What, am I crazy? I'm not going to, I am going to talk to him. I have to talk to him. God wants me to talk to him. I don't want to talk. I'm just going home. Forget about him. <laughs> talk about being conflicted. And, uh, and I started praying, Lord, I'm just afraid. Fear of man has got me by the throat. I don't want to talk to this brother. In the middle of that, the phone rings. And I look at my phone. It's Brent. <laughs> so I went. Push there. Brent. Hey, Brent. Hi, Brent. You know. And he said, hey, brother. Hey, I'm so sorry. You know, Dan, Dana, I mean, you're right next to each other in my directory, and I called the wrong person. What are you doing? And I said, you really want to know? 
And he said, yeah. And so I, I just told him what I told you in, in more detail. And he said, oh, brother, um, let, me, let me read a couple of scriptures to you. Took me to the Word. And, and can I pray for you? And he prayed for me. And uh, he said, my wife and I will be praying for you tonight. And you know what? Fear was gone. Any anxiety was gone. It's the ministry of a brother. A brother ministered Christ to me through the Spirit and the Word. That was a divine appointment. That wasn't a misplaced phone call. It was exactly who God wanted him to call, me, because I needed him. And you know what? We had a fantastic meeting that night, and there was reconciliation. Praise God for that. We need each other. Now take a moment to think about your relationships. Is there anyone with whom you're bitter, alive or dead? If you harmed your relationship with your spouse or your child or someone else and have been reluctant to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness, this needs to be the normal routine of life. And you need to be so sensitive to this that from time to time you'll go to your spouse and say, Hey, honey, sugar plum, whatever you call your spouse. Um, listen, a couple hours ago when we were talking on the phone and, and I said this, I, I know that sometimes I'll say things that, that bother you and, and I just think this might have been one. I might have to ask your forgiveness. What do you think? And last time I did that, my wife just started to giggle and she said, I don't even remember that. She said, it didn't bother me at all. And uh, but thank you, thank you for asking. You know what, you develop that kind of interaction in your home, you're gonna keep a clean slate. And you're gonna trust each other, you're gonna build trust back. And you're gonna grow in grace. Perhaps it's time for you to do the only thing that you can do to bring about reconciliation. And so I ask you, with whom do you need to speak today? And when will you do it? And who will you ask for help? The Apostle Paul said it like this, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your teaching on this uh, very important and uh, life-giving issue. And Father, I pray that you would bring relationships back to life which are now dead through the application of your word. And thank you, Father, for your spirit and the word that ministers in us and changes us. Continue that work, Father, in us until we become fully formed in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name.